Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Dr. Huffpower, and I'm coming to you here today from my studio in Alvin, Texas. Now, today I'm really lucky and privileged to be joined by someone who's kind of, if I had a hero in dentistry, would probably be the guy. Uh, and that is Dr. Bruce Baird. Uh, you may know him from uh, his PDA, Productive Dental Association. You may know him from Abella, uh, a company that helps you to collect your AR in a timely fashion. Or you may know him from Compassionate Finance that actually allows people to offer financing to patients who wouldn't get it through more traditional, um, more traditional organizations. So it, it, it's with great pleasure that I, I welcome you here, Bruce. Um, Thanks, you know, Chris. I flatter you every time you come on, but the flattery is absolutely true. I, I never would have reached the production or the success that I have without the things that I learned from you. So um, yeah. I, I thank you sure. for taking that dumb kid coming out of, and I was older, but I was still a dumb kid coming out of, out of dental school. So I, <laughs> I really thank you for the lessons I've learned. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. That's, you know, that's one of the fun things in dentistry. And I think you're getting to see that now. Uh, you know, the things that I've actually been able to, to do over the last really 30 years, you're, you're really getting a taste of it and it's fun. And you know, when you're helping people, you know, you help enough people get what they want to, you're going to find yourself in a great spot. Some, Absolutely. some, some point. And, and, uh, and I've just always enjoyed teaching and I, you know, I've got a, two daughters that are teachers and, and, uh, I don't know, it's just something that's kind of in, in me. And, uh, I'm not one of those solo dentist guys. I've always had a group practice or, you know, other dentists in the, in the area. Cause I like, I like learning and I like, and I like teaching. So that's been my deal. Well, you know, I, I told you, uh, very few people know, by the way, other than my wife and, uh, my best friends that I, now, I guess I'm coming out here. I, I just recently purchased a second practice. And the first person I reached out to was you, actually. Because yeah. uh, I know you have a lot to teach about that. And I've always been a solo practitioner. So I, I can't wait to to steal pearls from you there. Uh, they, they may yeah. be pearls before swine in my case, but I'll, I'll try my <laughs> best. <laughs> Bruce, one of, one of the things that you've always said that I, I always have found uh, in my heart to be my why, really. Uh, you've always said that you believed in doing well by doing good. And um, so you've actually come on today to offer some of the secret sauce for free to my listeners, uh, because you know that a lot of people are having a really hard time in their practices rolling back up to pre-COVID numbers. And we were just talking, you're, you're people who actually follow your, your scheduling protocols. They're doing great. They're doing what? You said 23% over pre-COVID levels for your old office? Yeah, they're they're probably at one between one twenty and one hundred and thirty percent of what they were before. So That's they're you know we're we're seeing that, and I kind of predicted it, but you have to be ready for it. You right. know, there were things that you you have to be ready to do to to uh, to be able to do that. And there there are some states it's it's almost impossible to do because because of. Um, you know, the COVID and, and the rules and regs of that state. I think of Arkansas as one, you can only have one patient in the building 
at a time per right. provider. Whereas Texas, we've been a little bit more open and so some of the other states have too. Now we're maybe paying for that now, but uh, I think it's self-responsibility is, is this deal about, you know, if you're going to get out, wear a mask and do the things you're supposed to do. But as far as, you know, we put forth and, and I will be more than happy and we can put on this recording. We have got an entire playbook uh, that actually was it's, some of it maybe a little bit obsolete because of PPP information and stuff that has changed. But we had, uh, we have a, a, about a 25 sheet deal that all of our PDA docs, we, we just put it out there and I'd be more than happy to anybody that wants it, we can give them a link to it or absolutely so they can do it. So um, more than happy to do that because it well, really is helpful. Without further ado, let's kind of dig down into this, you know, uh, tell people a little bit about your practice out in um, Granbury and, and, and what that area is like. And then we're going to talk a little bit for those who have been living under a rock and don't know you about what you managed to do at that practice. So talk to us a little bit about the area first. You know, when I first, I, I got out of the military in 1984 and I came to Granbury, Texas, which was, is a really small town, uh, only had about 3,000 people in the town, and it's west of Fort Worth. Really beautiful. It was just voted uh, one of the most popular places to go, you know, because we have a town square, lots of antique shops, that stuff. But we came here, and there was one light, basically, in town. Of course, that's 35 years ago. Right. Uh, this area has grown and expanded because we live on a lake. And I grew up about 45 minutes from here in a town called Mineral Wells, but small town west of Fort Worth. And at the time, there were only four dentists uh, in town. And so we came in, and it was myself and a buddy from, from the military opened up this practice. And we immediately, uh, there was, there also to kind of, I, I joke, but I, I tell people, I say, how many new patients do you think I saw per month when I opened in, in this town of 3,000? And nobody comes close, but uh, they'll say three, five, eight, whatever. And I said, no, it was 300 new patients because I happened to build my office on the road towards a nuclear power plant that had 16,000 employees. So I learned, I, I, I did on the job training on how to run a business because I literally, uh, there's no way I, I could run a business. And I, I joke, I, I couldn't run an ice cream cone stand you know, because I just didn't have that kind of experience. I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit. I've always had the thoughts that I, I love doing different things. I mean, I've always done that. But gosh, we went from myself, my partner, and three team members to 23 team members and seven doctors in 12 months. Wow. And, and yeah, it was, and I don't even know if I told you that story, but it's it's one of those things where it's so it was way over, over my head. We did a million dollars in production in our first year. And, and that uh, was back in the eighties guys that, which, I mean, that's, that says something right there. The million dollar practice, I believe the book came out in the early eighties, didn't it? The, uh, the roadmap to the million dollar practice. You were already yeah, doing this. Yeah, I think it did. And we did, you know, like I say, we did a million. The, the only problem was in the service when I was in, in the military, I made $28,000 a year and I was working 7.30 to 4.30. Uh, in private practice, we did a million dollars and I took home 32,000 of that. So you can figure my overhead was 96.8%. And, you know, I joke that most dentists burn out every seven years. Well, I, I burned out in about two and a half or three because I was working 
eight in the morning to eight o'clock at night, every single day, Saturdays. Uh, the only day I didn't work was Sunday, but I was trying to catch up on, and of course this is without computers. This is with uh, ledgers and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I was way overwhelmed as far as being a businessman. And, and to be honest, this is a, a time that is kind of interesting is it's, it's most of the time, and I was listening to Simon Sinek uh, doing a deal the other day, and it, most of us should be working on our business all the time. But this has been a unique situation where dentists have had eight weeks or six weeks or 10 weeks to work on their business, and they don't really know what to do. They're just going, okay, you know, we're, we're being the engineer mentality. I, I've got to have some checklists and you know, and I'm working on my business because I can't do anything else. Most right. of the time, dental practice, we're worried about the guy down the street and we don't worry about ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's been a unique opportunity. And, and I've done 50, I think 58 or 60 <laughs> webinars. You've been quite prolific. I've been, I've been watching. Yeah. yeah. And so for the last eight weeks, and a lot of it has just been explaining just the business and kind of what are some things that you can do to to really jumpstart your business and get yourself uh, out of this, you know, kind of the, the doldrums that that we've had and the difficulties and and uh, and I really think that that it's a great time uh, mm -hmm. to reestablish systems in your practice to to reevaluate what your why is, what's your one three five, what you know, what's your one year goal, three year goal, five right. year goal, and 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 so those are some of the things that we've been talking about, and of course. Uh, it, it's great for me because for the first time people are listening because right. they're excited. They're excited to figure out how to run their business because they have time. Most of the time, you know, you put your helmet on and your, you know, goggles and you go in and, and you just work. And, uh, but this has been a unique, unique opportunity. So I, I have to ask, actually, I want to make one comment and I want to give you a question. The comment is you nailed it about that seven year mark. Um, I was, eight years out of practice whenever I, um, I sold part of my practice. And um, I, think, I think really it's a time of reinvention where you look, at, you look back, you become introspective and you reinvent who you are to right. catch up with where you've been going. And you know, that, that's whenever I kind of realized, I said, you know, I, I think I want to own multiple practices now and you know, sure. you know, maybe mentor some people. But sure. it, it makes me curious because one of the reasons that I was so attracted to your system of doing things is because it was a system. It wasn't based upon warm fuzzies and it wasn't based upon um, a lot of this, this hype that you get from a lot of um, a lot of folks either just do the work and the money will come, which is bullshit because the money will also go just as fast. And, yes, and the, the other thing is that people talk about having just this, warm, fuzzy positivity, and that's going to get you patience, and that's going to get you production. But you actually boil it down to an SOP. And I wonder if your time in the military didn't kind of shape some of the ways that you thought about things. Because, you, you know, I was in the military, of course, I was, not, not to put you on, the, on, the, on the, the age spot here, but I was almost exactly 10 years after you, I was entering the military. And <laughs> our, our very regimented way of doing things just appeals to me because it seems to me there's always a right way to do things. There may be even several right ways to do things, but you should pick yep. one and do it that way. <laughs> you know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, I, I, I had the unique opportunity when I was in the service, I, I was, uh, uh, I was an officer that was responsible for a dedication ceremony for this 
large clinic and it really forced me to uh you know to systematically work through a problem or work through a system i've always been i think a pretty good communicator in, in talking to people but but this was a time where i actually had to do things that were right. that were specific and it did help me and and, and being in the military I, I had the opportunity to to work with expanded duty assistance, which unfortunately we don't have that opportunity in the state of Texas. Right. Um, but I, I, I really had to to think outside of the box on how to how to how to go from where our clinic was to where I thought it could be. And we went. We were the last rated dental unit in the United States Army at Fort Sam Houston when I got there. And within one quarter, and it's not because of me, but a combination of myself and and a new boss that came in who was amazing. We went from last to first in one quarter in three months nice. because we just changed the way we thought. And I, I joke, well, I don't joke, it's, it's true, but I, I just found I was going through my, my, all my junk that I have, that I've got in boxes, I don't even know what it is. And I found uh, my Army Commendation Medal and, I, and a, a rating that my boss had given me. And it's so funny because he said, uh, Captain Baird is truly a productive dentist, and I, I never even That's thought fantastic. about. I never thought about you know productive dentist academy or any of these things, but that that was thirty five years ago. So I was like, I've always liked. I don't. I don't like sitting around. If I'm working, then I want to work. And so that helped me. And then you know, opening up this practice and all of a sudden becoming totally overwhelmed. I, I really knew what I didn't want to do. You know, and, and I had plenty of new patients. It, I, it was almost, it was almost as if I had signed up for the the world's biggest PPO, and uh, I did a lot of production, but I, I, there was nothing coming out the other side. And so uh, that burnout, we see it all the time. Dennis, uh, Dennis will, uh, you know, they'll buy a Taco Bueno or they start selling, uh, you know, selling essential oils over the counter, uh, you know, whatever, because they just think that dentistry is is too hard, but but the truth is dentistry is like having your own ATM machine. Oh yeah. You can print money if you know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I mean, d dentistry is, is pretty amazing uh, occupation, even during these difficult times. As a matter of fact, during the difficult times is when kind of separates the, separates the men from the boys or the, 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 women, the girls, or I, I don't, you know, so, I, so it is a, a perfect opportunity. I had a conversation with a friend of mine about this and uh, I've, I've been very open about the fact I, I believe that we were going to go into a recession. I, th I think I told you this, um, yeah. September last year, I predicted it. I just saw the signs historically of a very deep uh, uh, de very deep recession or even a depression. And uh, I pulled everything out from everywhere. And so I was flush with cash and I had zero debt when this COVID thing hit and God help me. I did not prevent, <laughs> I did not predict COVID. But right. I predicted the effect before it happened. Sure. And so that put me in a really nice position. Yeah. And I really think it's going to separate, separate the people who say they, they follow the markets and people who say they understand the markets from the people who actually have some inkling. I'm not going right. to say I do. I, maybe I was lucky, but, <laughs> you know. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I listened to, gosh, I listen to a lot of the Facebook live stuff, you know, that people are doing and stuff. I enjoy that. Right. Uh, and, um, and, you know, you hear all kinds of recommendations and all kinds of thoughts, but, you know, I think being prudent in, in, in your investing, being smart, I, I'll tell you my story, 08, 
uh, I'd already been through the 2000 but dot com bubble and we lost about 30 to 40 percent of our of our uh, of our retirement plan for the office and for us and so uh, and I was a little upset you know obviously I go gosh that, that hurt and then it grew back and we were about back to square one maybe up about 10 mm -hmm. percent or whatever when 2008 2010 hit and so I I literally, we lost 50%, so I sold everything then, which mm -hmm. not 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 a good idea because th uh, over the next uh, six years or seven years, I would have tripled that. <laughs> and right. uh, I pulled everything out. Uh, I took that money and did other things with it. I Instead of investing in the stock market, I decided I was going to invest in some other businesses and, and do it that way. And it, it it's turned out okay. It's where, how I started Compassionate Finance and Comprehensive mm -hmm. uh, Finance. And, and so... It, it's worked out, but I, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a guru by any any means. Although I did short the market before it dropped after COVID, good I did man. really, really good. <laughs> and I mean, it was amazing. But now I'm still shorting the market after it went back up and had the V-shaped recovery. So again, not the not not to give advice on best. Uh, so yeah, for well, sure. So Bruce, um, that brings us pretty much full circle. You just mentioned that um, in 2008, 2009, that's whenever you started Compassionate. Um, I'd like you to take a, a step back. Let's say that you decided for some reason, uh, you decided you wanted to go and open a practice again. Maybe you purchased uh, someone's practice that was failing due to all of this. Yes. Walk us through some of the, some of the steps and steps that you would take and mistakes you would avoid perhaps that you made before Give us some of the benefit of your wisdom and, and kind of line out some of the philosophies of scheduling by production. A lot of people ask me about that and I've got this beautiful juicy Excel spreadsheet that I won't share with them because it's yours. So, uh, so talk to me a little bit about how all that works and what your, where your brain would be right now if that was the position you're in. Yeah. It, you know, if I was opening up a practice, uh, just, just go down the street and open something up. There, there are specific things that I would do. And, and I would, uh, obviously, I've, I've always been a fee-for-service dentist, which that doesn't mean I don't see uh, patients that are out of network with PPOs, but I've always said, yes, we, we, we take your insurance. You know, we're an unrestricted provider, meaning I can work Absolutely. on anybody, anybody I want to. Uh, and so I would definitely have that in mind. I would also be putting... Uh, an 8% of my budget, whatever I budgeted, 8% of that would be going to marketing, which most dentists are marketing at 1%, half percent, one and a half. Uh, but I would be spending 8%, just like real businesses, real right. business, you know, which we are a real business, by the way, but I don't think a lot of us think of us that way. Uh, and so I would be marketing at 8% and attracting those patients that would be, uh, that needed dentistry. I call it train wreck marketing. I, I love to market to people who need the services that I love to do. And so that's where that would go. You and I are on the same page there. I only market for the procedures I want to bring into the practice. That's it. Yeah. And, and then, so we, that's one thing I would do. Then on the, on the other side, what I would do is I would be, you know, obviously, uh, building, I would have financial options for patients that would allow me to accept pretty much anybody uh, and understanding, you know, I know you understand compassionate finance, but that that's, that's allows us to do that. Right. And, but then most importantly is where do, where do I put them in the schedule? You know, when patients do come in, 
what, what do I do? And step one to me is the comprehensive exam. Uh, right. I made the mistake of having all new patients. I had to, but they, when mm -hmm. I first started, they all went through hygiene. And I literally was doing one crown here, one crown there. And that's what I did. And that's why I wasn't very profitable. But I was very productive because I was, you know, I knew how to do, you know, and right. it's not about speed. It's just uh, people always think being productive is about speed. It's really not. It's just about doing procedures that that actually bring revenue to the practice. And, and most dentists can do that. I mean, when you were doing four thousand dollars a day, it, it seemed a lot harder than when you're doing 14,000 a day, right? you know, or 20,000 a yeah, day. Yeah, because I was, I was torn. I, I wasn't efficiently scheduled. You know, you can't be in two places at once, much less three. And so right. if, you're, if your schedule is not tailored in such a fashion that you know where you are and your team knows where you are, and, and guys, this is a team-driven thing. This is not a dentist-driven thing. You have to teach your team to think this way. If you can schedule to where you can go from room A to room B to room C and in a very nice natural flow, you're not so tired at the end of the day. You're not stressing with the hygienist waving at you from the door like, I'm ready for a hygiene check. And none of that crap happens, or at least it, it happens in a much more limited fashion. <laughs> it, it does. It does. And so, you know, what, what people, you know, tend to do, and I, I jokingly say scheduling in 90%, 95% of dental practices is like you have a giant schedule on the wall and your team up front are throwing darts at it. So a patient calls up and says, I'd like to get ready for this. Okay, hang on a minute. <clears throat> okay, that'll be Wednesday at two. In other words, right. there is no intention. It's, it, it's not an intentional activity. But what we know is that scheduling is an intentional activity. And, and yes. it's something that the way that we've done it, and it's very different, uh, kind of across the board, it's different. But I began looking at, we don't schedule based on time. That was started, um, I think back to one of my mentors, Tom McDougall here in Dallas, who's still practicing. And he started the, at least as far as I know, he started the X's and slashes, meaning the doctor's right. time and assistant time. And even Dentrix has what's called perfect day scheduling. And right. what that means is there's no X's next to X's next to X's. So that's where the doctor is. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, if you have the perfect day schedule based on what Dentrix teaches or what, what has been taught to most dentists across the country, it would mean that you're never in two places at once and you're going right. through this schedule. The only problem with that is if you get behind, you're behind the whole morning until you mm -hmm. catch up during lunch hour. And absolutely the same thing happens in the afternoon. So you work till six or six 30. So when I began thinking about this scheduling to production, uh, back in probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago, mm -hmm. I just said, there's gotta be a better way because I had high volume of patients, but I also had fee for service. So we were doing a lot of dentistry, but it just seemed like I was really running around like that proverbial chicken with their head cut well, off. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to add one further thing to that. And yep. I think you'll agree heartily. Um, even if you've got the appropriate amount of time scheduled for what I, what I call turnaround, um, our rooms have a 15 or 20 minute turnaround depending upon procedure, but I'm not going to get into that. I, I know you right. know what I'm talking about. So even if I have the correct amount of time scheduled, I can still work my butt off and not be profitable. If my first thing in my column A, and I, folks, I practice out of three operatories, yep. and 
So if I, in column A, I've got a crown seat, and in column B, I've got an ortho delivery, and in column C, I've got a hygiene check, and I'm not in the same place in any of those at the same time, I've still just made no money. And so what you have to do is you have to look at the amount of production that's being created, new production mm -hmm. um, that's being created in those columns. Now, things get tricky when you're talking to team members whenever you're discussing things that have been prepaid versus things that are being paid today. Um, right. And I'm, I'm going to invite you to, to speak on that because I think, I think that was where you were going next. That's an ortho conversation too, by the way, you know, I, I see that a lot. Well, I've already done it. They've already paid. And now I'm seeing them all these times. What, what is, what's important? And it goes back to, uh, it goes back to running a business. And what's important is to know what your numbers are. You know, uh, we call it profitability incentive point. Uh, you can call it bam, bare ass minimum, you can call whatever it is, but it's that point to where you've been paid a fair compensation, your team's paid, you've paid all your bills, everything's paid. There's a number there. Uh, and I use that number for me was 35% of what I did in my practice. I wanted to make sure I took home before I started paying bonuses and doing lots of other things. In other words, what would it take bottom line profitability incentive point, which what that means is for every dollar above that PIP, the overhead's no longer 65% or 73, the average mm -hmm. office or 58. It's now 20%. Right. And so always pushing that envelope above that. I got of that number. And, and then I sat back and, and then I figured out you work backwards and you say, okay, what would mm -hmm. I need to produce to reach that number? So that's where, that's where goal setting comes in. And so you got to know where you're going. You got to know right. what you're going to produce. And I don't mean an esoteric, just like, oh yeah, we're going to produce, uh, we're going to do 800 an hour this month. No, you have to work backwards is, from your salary. That's exactly right. And so I could always tell you, we call it predictive analytics. We're, we, we go in, we can predictively tell you what our production and collections would be for next month. I could predictably tell you what my expenses were going to be for next month. Right. I'm not talking about uh, the average dentist who gets something from the accountant uh, two months after the fact and goes, well, I thought we had a good month, but this doesn't show it. I was constantly doing that, but scheduling plays an important role. And I use three, three ops the way mm -hmm. that I practice and each op had a separate a dental assistant or treatment coordinator they were responsible for that room, but they're also responsible for each other to be putting cases where they know that I could do it. So it takes a team to really be highly productive to the levels that, right. that you, you've become and the, to the levels that doctors who produce high numbers. And it's not about the numbers. If I'm producing, I, I, I simply say, if I'm doing, if I'm personally doing 100,000 a month and someone else is doing mm -hmm. 50,000 a month, I'm helping more people or I'm doing more procedure, whatever it is. So I always look at it as doing good while doing good. I'm, I'm going to help you. And in turn, that's going to help our business. And so my, my, my chair side, they also confirm their own patients, which is really weird. But I know that somebody's not going to cancel on summer and they're right. not going to cancel on gay because they have a relationship with gay. Now they'll tell Julie at the front desk, Oh, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they got a hair appointment that I forgot about. But if they tell that to summer, summer's going to go, 
a hair appointment, you got to be joking me, you know, get your rear right. end in here, you know? And so they can, because they can do that. And it, it, it goes further than just the relationship. It, it, it goes to something I call agreements. You know, as you form a relationship, you form agreements on what reality is, right? And yep. you sell to a person's reality. You, you, right. you, and it's not always your reality, but you have to understand what the patient's reality is. It's, and I think it's a big part of something you teach, which I, I believe you call it um, framing or you, you call it, um, gosh, your first, your first five minutes in the chair. What, do you, what, what, what is your term for that? Um, I'm, I'm not sure what, what you reference, but I call it an agreed upon course of action between two parties. I say, you know, the relationship. Linking. You call linking. it linking. Yes. Yep. Yeah, linking is extremely important. And, uh, you know, because I want to find things that we have in common. Exactly. And so then I become not just, you know, Dr. Bruce or, you know, Dr. Baird. I become, okay, you know, you're my, yeah. you're my bud. And now we're talking. I love becoming a consultant to the patient, not right. telling the way, well, Chris, you need to have this done and you need that and you need this. That's great, but people do not respond that way. Right. They go, I'll tell you what I need. Now, what I do is I flip it around and I just say, yep. you, know, Chris, you know, if it was me, this is kind of the way I would be thinking, you know, and, and I'm nodding and they're nodding and they go, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. And I go, I know you probably already knew this, but, you know, and, and when you tell somebody, I know you probably already knew this they're going to start nodding because they don't want to seem ignorant. Even I, exactly. I joke, I could be at a cocktail reception talking to a nuclear scientist and he starts telling me, Bruce, I know you already knew this. And I'd be nodding the whole time, not knowing mm -hmm. a word he's saying, but it's getting people into the right frame of mind to hear what you're recommending and uh, then putting them in the schedule in such a way that meets your goals. So if you, if you have a goal of, I mean, the average dentist now is doing 425 an hour to me that it's hard to fathom, but, but still 425 an hour, that's 32, $3,400 a day. And, you know, so 3,400 bucks a day, that's the average dentist. What I do is say, step back and say, what if you wanted to do 500 an hour, you know, not 425, what if you wanted to do 500 and you had a patient come in that needed two crowns and two buildups and it was going to be two thousand dollars you know or you know and, and the patient and, and i said how long and you've heard me say this but i say how long is it going to take you to do that and people say oh half hour you know i'm talking about doctor's mm -hmm. time only. uh half hour some people say an hour some say an hour and a half whatever they say, it doesn't matter because I said, it depends on what your goal is. So how long do I schedule if my goal is 500 an hour and I have mm -hmm. a patient that needs $2,000 worth of work, how long do I schedule? And the answer is I schedule four hours and people and go, they, they freak out when they see that. I know. They don't understand they, that they, scheduling those longer periods of times makes you so much more productive. Right. And I'm not tied to the chair because during that hour, now I'm the one who set the goal at 500. I know nobody else did. And so my goal for that day is, is to find two, you know, two people that need $2,000 worth of work and schedule them four hours to each one. Mm -hmm. Now, at least I know I'm on goal for the day. Anything right. else I put in around that, my team knows when I can do it or not, then I am, it's just all gravy train above the 500. And so what you find is once you understand how to schedule based on productivity, it becomes the only way you think about it. Right. And, and these docs go pretty rapidly to a thousand an hour, you know, yes. to 1200 an hour, 1400 an hour, 1500 an hour, when they've been at 400. 
And I, I can tell you story after story after story of doctors who said, well, it's not hard to do this. In fact, I have more time and I'm, you know, I have more time. I, 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 ha I have more time to take care of my patients. I have more time yes. to build relationships with them as opposed to this crown of the month club. Uh, the other thing that I would do, you asked me if I was opening, I would make sure that I'm doing comprehensive exams on every single patient. Now, uh, I want you to explain what a true comprehensive exam is because you and I both know most people have no idea what a comprehensive right. exam is. Right. Well, one of the things that really helped me is one of my mentors, John Coyce, and John and I have been friends for a long time. But John is, you're talking about a systematic dude that, mm -hmm. I mean, John is like, you know, he is very systematic. And he started talking about risk factors. And when I heard that 20 years ago, it just kind of hit me between the eyes that, you know, yes, people are either high risk, medium risk, or low risk for periodontal disease. The mm -hmm. same for the same for wear, erosion, and decay. The same for, uh, so you have perio, you have that, you have, um, you know, aesthetic risk. You have some people who, when they smile, they show everything. They are mm -hmm. at a different risk factor. And then functional risk, people that are grinders and clenchers and have TMJ issues. And so I walk through those systematically, perio first, then the decay, then, and I, and I actually do this with the patient and I added a couple extras. I added uh, physiologic risk uh, to, to his list of four because physiologic risk to me is thinking about sleep apnea and mm -hmm. how does that affect my dentistry that I'm doing because it right. does. And then finally, I call it the psycho risk. That is, is this patient crazy? Do I really want to work on them? I know. And that's exactly right. This is time to uh, invite them to go see my friend down the street who is much better at this than I am. And that's where you send those people. And then they end up sending you back people. So you have a great relationship with somebody down the street that you're always sending patients to. But, you know, so that complete exam I go through and I do it in a way that I seat the patient back and all I'm doing is looking at risk factors and even talking I can find out, do they have the high smile line? Do they have, you know, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assessing that as I'm visiting with the patient and I don't talk about teeth when we first meet. And that's what you're talking right. about, linking and matching and mirroring. Cause I always say, how long have you lived in Granbury or how, where'd you move from? So I want to find out about them before I find out about their teeth. Once I do, then I said, Hey, Chris, if it's okay, I just like to lean you back and just take a peek. Mm -hmm. Even if you've told me I'm really concerned about this upper left, this one tooth, I said, well, is it okay if I just take a look at everything? Because it kind of plays a role. So I lead them back, literally less than one minute, probably 40 seconds, I set them back right. up and I go into my conversation about risk factors. You know, and I say, you know, Chris, I always look at the same things on everybody pretty much, you know, and the first thing I always look at is the gums. And then I tell them what I see. And then I said, you know, people will say, well, aren't you probing for probe depths and everything else. And aren't you doing all this? No, I, I'm not. Because first of all, I'm looking, I've already looked at their x-rays. I've looked in the mouth. I may spot probe a few areas, but I can tell when people have periodontal disease looking at x-rays. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are some that surprise you, but mm -hmm. I, if I, if somebody has perio, I'm, I'm diagnosing it. If somebody has, you know, functional risk or they decay risk, I'm diagnosing it. So during that process of what I call the phase one part of the exam, my assistant's over there, because I may say, you know, from a periodontal standpoint, have you had a family history? Yes, I have. I said, well, you know, today we use lasers, and uh, we can actually do laser pocket disinfection, or we can do uh, LANAP surgery. 
and, and I don't, I don't say it like that to them, but mm -hmm. I'll say, you know, we use lasers today. It's amazing. Well, and, and that's really what I would recommend for you. It's something I've actually had done myself mm -hmm. and, and summer's already got it down as part of the treatment plan. So right. by the time I finish those four or six, uh, you know, what I call risk factors, then, then I'll say, you know, does that make sense? You know, and I'm always saying that during the process, does that make sense? Is that, Oh yeah, that unbelievable. And usually at the end of that part of the exam and you know, Summer, Gay, or Shannon will tell you, they always say, well, why has no one else ever done this? Why no right. one else has ever done this? And I always, my response is one that is, you know, I said, you know, we know more today than we knew yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, you know, yeah, you should have done it, but you know, you know it, but you just never did it. You're just looking for that tooth because that's what we're taught in dental school. Start mm -hmm. with number one, go to two, three, four, work your way around. Well, I said, well, you know, because we just know more today. And what I want to make sure of is that if we're going to do dentistry, there's no reason for dentistry not to last a lifetime. There's no reason it shouldn't. Uh, you know, now, if you put a crown on a Bruxer and you use uh, material, you know, it's not going to last a lifetime. And if you're not evaluating that bruxism, you're going to be dealing with that. Uh, if, you, if they have high decay risk and you put a crown on a tooth, you know it's not going to last if they have high decay because it's going to be, it's not what God gave them. And I guarantee you what God gave them is failing. And so right. yours is going to fail too. And I tell them that. I tell the patient that specifically what God gave you is breaking down what I'm going to do unless we stop the Dr. Pepper unless mm -hmm. we stop the things that are causing these risk factors to be a problem. When was the last time you came in for a cleaning? Oh, five years ago. Well, here's the thing, you know, we're going to have to be committed to, you know, every three or four months mm -hmm. if you want to keep your teeth. And I've become much, uh, and this is probably just through experience, but you know, I hated extracting teeth. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I always hated extracting and I'm, I've taken out, you know, hundreds and thousands of teeth. And I hate taking them out. And I would literally talk people in to their behavior. I would talk to them, oh, if you don't, and then I would say, and then 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later in practice, it's failing. Yep. And I knew it was going to fail if they didn't follow through, but I didn't hold them responsible for it. Exactly. So I felt guilty. And what I would do is I'd redo their work for free. Mm -mm. I'd, I'd, let me redo this. Let me redo that. I always thought it was my fault until yep. I started looking at risk factors. Now I said, you know, if you don't do these things, this crown won't last. I, I'm very honest with people up front and they appreciate it. And, you know, I would say probably maybe 30 or 40% of the people just really jump on the bandwagon and they, they really start doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But human nature, 60% don't. And so mm -hmm. I actually have a secondary treatment plan for them where I said, if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to quit drinking Dr. Pepper, if you're not going to come in every three months, you need a whole different type of plan. Uh, probably extracting teeth and doing, you know, the all on sixes, the all on fours. And I've done mm -hmm. a lot more of those in the last eight years or 10 years than I ever did early on. Cause I was always trying to get people to save their teeth, even yep. though they didn't really care about their teeth. And, and now Bruce, I'm, I'm going to interrupt here because I think there's a, a moment right here where there's a lot of people you're going to lose because they're thinking to themselves, what takes so long to treatment plan this, that, the other guys, you need to start thinking about treatment plans as packages. You know, whenever you have a patient and you've just treatment planned all this stuff, first of all, you need to tell your assistant that whatever you're telling the patient, you're actually telling your assistant. 
And if you, if my lips are moving, you should be writing something down. Absolutely. The next thing is, is that those treatment plans are easy. They're packages. It's like extraction plus implants plus denture equals this. And you can worry about the nitpicky. Is this a root tip extraction or is this a whatever after all that is said and done? Yep. It, 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 that's the easiest way to do it. It's the right way to do it. If you want to get this done in a timely manner. Yeah, it is bundling, you know, bundling the procedures. I, you know, like I can pretty well tell you exactly what the cost is going to be. If we do a snap, if I extract teeth, I charge kind of one fee, you know, I charge, you know, you know, if we're doing extractions, I don't care if it's eight or 15 or 25, mm -hmm. it's this, if I'm doing grafting, it's going to be this on top of it, which we do grafting a lot of. And then, right. you know, and here's the cost of the prosthesis. We're able to bundle it that way. And I'm, I don't, I don't give a crap about insurance companies. I hate them, but yeah, uh, same. you know, and if, if we're talking 1500 bucks a year, uh, my treatment plans usually eat that up in the first 20 seconds. So I'm not really worried about uh, their insurance. I tell them no worries. I'm so glad you have it because they're going to, they're going to pay 1500 bucks. Now I got to figure out a way. So it's not about, well, they don't cover the white colored crown or they, right. they're going to downgrade it. I don't care what they downgrade. Because uh, I'm going to treatment plan everything I see in that patient's mouth, and I, of what I would do in my own mouth. That's right. the way I way I do that. And so, I think it's, but but this scheduling to production allows you to do really whatever it is you want to do during the day. Because my my team knows uh, that you know exactly how I work, and so when I walk out of a room. I look to them. I may have one of my assistants. They go, you need to go into Gay's room first and uh, anesthetize that and then come over to my room. Okay. You know, so they are so ingrained into my philosophy. I don't really even have to hardly think. Now, what I do is during the day, I'm always looking at my schedule behind the patient's head. I'm looking at the schedule. Did it, has anything gone away? Is anything broken down? Uh, am I on goal today? And, uh, and I might also, uh, if a patient's sedated in that chair and I'm in that room, I may, I may go in and look at some of my patient notes for the next patient. Oh, they were going, they were going on a cruise and everything else. So when I walk in, I'm going, dude, how was the cruise? I mean, I've been wondering. So those are the kind of relationship things that all and, of a sudden. And they feel, they feel so flattered when yes. you remember those things. You, you know, when, one of the biggest ones for me, noticing when a woman has new shoes or noticing when she has new hairdo. <laughs> They are oh, so yeah. flattered. I just tell them I grew up with three sisters and they'd beat my ass if I didn't notice that they changed their hair. So I pay attention. Well, I do the exact same thing. I said, I've got four daughters. So, yep. you know, I'm always saying, oh my gosh, those are cute shoes. And I don't just say, I'll say, where did you get those? My daughter would love them. I know. And that's exactly yep. what I do, you know? So it's, it's just, it's just awesome the way that is, yes. uh, you know, the way, cause you, you can build a relationship with somebody. People want you know, to be liked, they want to know that people pay attention and same thing with the hair. And I, I joke in matching and mirroring and everything else, I become a little old lady. So I walk in the room, I go, Oh my gosh, how are you? It's so mm -hmm. good to see you. Oh my God. Exactly. You know, uh, you, know you, so. you interact on their level in, in dentistry. We're taught get down on eye level. Well, the get down on right. eye level is to make you more like them. It's not necessarily an authoritarian thing or whatever. It's to make you as similar to them as possible. 
hundred percent. And and that's what we do, you know. Just you to should. Try to you taught me that. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we just we just want to to be in common. We I want to have things that we know. A guy might I might say, you know, he lives over on Pebble Beach Drive over here in Harbor Lakes. I said, do you play golf? He goes, oh yeah, I love it. I said, you know, what kind of clubs are you using? I'm using those. I said, you know, I've, I've not tried those. You know, what, what's your experience been? Oh, I love them. You know, I'm, I'm just getting to know them, you know? Right. Yeah, and what's funny is my daughters always laugh at me because I, I start getting accents like the people I'm talking to mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever, but they do the same thing now. And, and I mean, they literally do the exact same thing that I do when they're meeting people and when they're talking to people. Uh, so, you know, it's something that will help a person throughout their life if they can learn to communicate with somebody and to become friends with that person in a very short order, just very quickly within three minutes, you know, that, you know, people say, well, I I don't have time. I'm running by, you know, I don't have time to do that. It's only three minutes. Right. And it changes everything because now you have a patient who's committed and wants to do more dentistry because they trust you. And guys, the, the patient, that is going to tell you their whole life story is going to still happen. Bruce, I, I don't know about you. This is what I'll do. Someone said, and then this dentist, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. It sounds like you have just, you had a rough road. And while I wasn't there and I can't make judgment, I'm going to do my best to listen to you and to make sure that we do the right thing for your mouth. Give me a hug. As soon as you yep. give her a hug, they shut up. Yep. That's okay? true. I, I love it. I love it. And you know what else? And this is one thing that I I also do. It's a nice thing about being a fee-for-service dentist. If they're Mm -hmm. one of those people that's complaining and griping and they're gripe, 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 I let them talk. And for every negative comment, that's $250 added on to their treatment plan. That's part of the psychological risk factor. (laughs) So if they say 10 negative negative things, that's going to be an extra $2,500 onto the treatment plan. That's called a reconstruction fee. That comes from the old days with Dick Barnes, and uh, but this is your reconstruction fee. Now I know insurance doesn't cover this, but this is because of the complexity of your case. And yeah. my hope is at some point uh, they say, "Forget it. All right, I'm going to go right. down the street. That's ridiculous." And, that, that's and that's okay, really- guys. It is okay to lose patients because they can't afford them. That's right. That, that's fine. Or they don't value your services enough to find a way to afford you. Okay, guys, so we're going to get right down because we, we've gone far afield just because I enjoy talking to you and, uh, and I enjoy picking up the tips that you've, you've accrued over 30-something years of, of practice. So let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts. Um, I, last Thursday, I had a patient come in. My morning from 9 o'clock until noon was booked out by – and I'll say, I break your rule, Bruce. I make a, I make a hard break at noon to one. Yep. And no matter if it's a $30,000 case and it takes all morning, it'll only get packed into that four hours of space before lunch. Because usually, I mean, sure. I restart in the afternoon. So morning, I've got um, five implants on the upper. We're going to be doing a implant supported denture. So right. that was my morning. That was yep. column A. Column B, I had a, um, a person who could only come in at four o'clock and we were doing a crown. And so I kind of broke my rule there. And I told him, I said, here's what you do. You just don't pack anything into column two during this one because they can only come in at five and I'm not staying late. 
And right. so the rest of the day, I'll tell you honestly, I don't even know what I did for the rest of the day because it wasn't important because I hit my numbers. And, exactly. you know, between one o'clock and four o'clock, I could not tell you what I was doing. I might've been on Facebook. I might've been doing hygiene checks, what have you. The only thing that mattered was where was my meat and potatoes for my practice and where was that yep. scheduled so that nothing else conflicted. Yep. I, I agree a hundred percent. And that's, that's the way that scheduling for production works the best. Right. It's when your team knows what you can and can't do. Uh, they know that you're going to be pretty well dedicated in that one room uh, for X amount of time. Now you may have booked it for four hours and they know it's only going to take you two. They still right. do not make that appointment two hours. They make it four because right. they know you're going to have the freedom to be able to come into their room, you know, mm -hmm. or it, uh, into the hygiene check. I mean, I'm checking five hygienists. And so, you know, and, and so I always have time uh, to, to, to do the other things that are around that. Now, if uh, uh, an example that I might have is that I cannot do is mm -hmm. I'm doing endo. I'm doing three root canals and I'm starting at eight o'clock and it's going to take me till 10. Don't mm -hmm. put anything over next to that because you know that I'm going to be doing the endo and I may stop and go check a hygiene, but I can't really go over and, and do more dentistry during that time. So well, my per team, particularly with the COVID rules, we've had to change some things yes. because you can't move from one room to the other. But okay. I'll tell you, Bruce, you're the reason I stopped doing endo. <laughs> because Good. it was too unpredictable to fit and, and I, I know you've mastered it but I could never figure out oh, it's, it's self time variable I mean you look at that upper first molar and it may be 45 minutes or it may be three hours oh, and no. I just I couldn't be fair with my team and tell them I'm going to be in here for this time <laughs> it was just I just had no idea I never could get uh, it down well if I couldn't find a canal in the first three to four minutes it was, I put cotton in there and it was referred and I'd go do something else productive. So I'm yeah. not your endo guru at all. Uh, I just don't like them. I don't like doing it. I don't them. either. Uh, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> and I've done a lot of them, but uh, I, I prefer doing other things. But, but, but for me, just knowing that I reach my goal, which is, it, it's, it, there's no compromise there. In other words, I'll work through lunch, I'll work late at the end of the day if I'm not on goal. I'll do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to reach that goal. Now, there are some days you don't, and it's just okay. I know that everybody tried really hard to get the schedule filled that day. We called people. We did everything within our power because we know that, that that's what we're doing. I mean, I only have two goals, and, and I talk about this at Productive Dentist Academy all the time. Number one is to take great care of my patients. And I can do that by scheduling the productivity because I have more time. Right. Um, and the other is to reach my goal. And, and I don't have any other goals in the deal. I mean, but what I will tell you, and this is kind of interesting in this time that we're in, is, you know, now that these doctors are looking at their business, I, I've had kind of an epiphany that said, you know, because I, I always tell people that I was the worst boss possible. Uh, the first 10 years in practice, I literally was not a person that you'd like to be around. <laughs> you need to uh, you yeah. still need to teach me how to not micromanage, dude, because I'm still well, there. I, it's, uh, I know, it's ingrained. I know. You know, we get taught in school. My dad was a Marine aviator, so it was my way or the highway. And, and, and that's the way it was in my practice for 10 years. And I joke that every single person in Granbury worked for me at one time or another. I mean, <laughs> everybody, because I was such a bad boss. 
But what I finally realized is when I became what I would consider a kinder, gentler Bruce was when I understood my business. And so it's like when I understood this predictive analytics and I could tell you what I was going to produce and I could tell you what we were going to collect and I could tell you what my expenses were going to be. Once I did that, all the pressure went away because I knew my business and, and, and I was not nice because I was frustrated by my business. It wasn't the employees. I mean, and I used to think employees just came to work just to piss you off, but that's, that's obviously not the case. They want to work a place that they're happy and having fun. And, and, uh, but all of a sudden when I understood my business, then I could give them, uh, instructions or help in areas and explain it that way, explain it, be, be totally open in explaining how the business runs. And I have no problem with that. So, once I learn my business, and that's what I'm telling docs now, mm-hmm. learn, take this opportunity that you have um, and, and learn your business and mm-hmm. learn, learn predictive analytics, learn those things, learn how to schedule to productivity, learn, learn these things. And I promise you're going to find that at the end, you're, you're winning, you know, you're yeah. winning and you're winning in a big way. And, you know, Bruce, what you're saying there is um, it's so true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go one step further. I think that most doctors don't understand that when it comes to management strategy in your practice and growth strategy in your practice, that there are levers and there are dials. Levers make large sleeping changes and dials fine tune things. And the less you know about your business, the less you realize which are which. And so you begin obsessing over the small things that you feel if you just got right, that everything would change. But in reality, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. You've got (laughs) to fix the big problems and then you can find time. Well, I'm going to steal that from you then because I love that. The levers and the dials because it's so true. It is so true. And and I didn't know what to do for the first 10 years until finally I, I really did delve into this is a business. Let me, I want to understand this because I started having time to understand it. But, but what I would tell you is if I'm just opening up a practice, and everything else, I would just understand that business so well. Uh, it's hard to do predictive analytics when you just open, mm-hmm. but if you don't start when you just open, you're never going to start. And Agreed. so what you do is you begin making, uh, well, I think this is what our goal is going to be. I'm committed to it. This is what we're going to do. Okay. We didn't get the number of new patients in order for us to, to do those goals. And I'm not going to be upset with my team, you know, so this is a marketing issue or this is a, you know, it's rarely, you know, it can be a team issue, but in my experience, uh, it's rarely the team issue. It's usually between the, between right here and here. You know? they, they just want to know what to do. In most cases, right. people want to be led. And right. if you, if you can't convince them that you can lead them, they'll never follow you know, and, and even I, I still struggle with this sometimes. I've got this one assistant. She's been with me, God, forever. And um, she has her way of doing things. Well, she is about to leave because she finally got into, high, uh, into hygiene school. It's her dream. And oh. so I'm having her train someone else. And she is, for every bit of amazingness that is in this woman, it is, uh, it is countermanded by the fact that she hates to train people. And she yep. sucks at it. And Savannah, yeah. if you're listening, I love you, darling, and you know it's true. So the, the thing is, the other day I had a conversation with her, and this is, I think, a lot of dentists. That's, that's why I'm bringing this up. 
we're sitting there and I'm talking to her and I said, so did you let her do the thing? And she said, well, I, I, I taught her how. I said, hold on. Teaching her how, was that her doing it while you watched over her shoulder to make sure she did it right? Or was it you doing and explaining what you were doing to her? Well, I, I just did it and explained this. You can't do that. You have to let them do the process and you watch over and you allow them to make mistakes because that's where they learn. Well, I, yeah. I just, I don't have time for that doc. And I said, okay, so when she knows how to do this, you have an hour more in your day. Yeah. I said, so how long is it going to take you to train her? Well, at least two or three hours. I said, so you make that up in a week, <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. So true. So true. And, and, you know, there, there are, I, I've got a team that been with me for one assistant over 30 years, 120 and 110. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, the, the better you can take care of your team, the longer they're with you, the more, the, the better you get. And so it's worth, it's worth the commitment on your part to, you know, if they're packing cord, you pack cord for them, show them how you do it, then let them do it and look over their shoulder. So Absolutely. watch one, do one, and, and, you know, and they become really good at it. But then by holding them accountable, uh, I'll, I'll use the example, let's just say making a temporary. I want a temporary made that I would love in my own mouth. Right. I mean, it's so smooth, it's polished, there's, the margins are good. And if I've taught somebody to do it that way, and then I, I come in to just do a check and they've got the temp on and it's not what I'm expecting, then that is what I call a training opportunity. I said, remember when mm -hmm. we talked about the smoothness of that, that this is something that, that I really want to make sure we're polishing those. Yeah, I was running behind that day and I just, I go, no worries. Uh, you know, whereas before I would say, I don't give a shit if you're running behind, you do it right. But this way I'd say, you know, I understand, uh, but let's make sure that we get those polished. Let's make sure those margins, because I don't think you would want that in your mouth. And I know I wouldn't. And they go, you're right. You're right. Okay. And and so it's not a, an attack on an individual. It's right. it's basically, if I tell them how to do it and they're doing it like summer in my office, I mean, her temps, I can't tell that that's not the real crown. I know. You know I'm looking at it. I'm going like, which tooth are we working on? You know, which Savannah's the know. same way. It's it's so amazing. I'll be honest with you, her temps are so much better than mine at this point. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> my mine too. I mean, we do full arch. You know, we're doing full arch cases, and yep. and summer summer will have these things looking, and, and she'll go, "I'm having a problem with this." And I look in there and I go, "Yeah, uh, this, <laughs> this is beautiful." Uh, you know, there that, is that, that one hard. Part I'm going to go back to my office. <laughs> yeah. You just keep working and I don't want to mess with, mess you up. So that's mm -hmm. the deal. Well, Bruce, thank you for coming on today. And um, I want you to give, I'm going to give you the rest of the, the, the time here. I want you to take just three minutes because I think you can do it in three minutes. Explain sure. the entire idea behind scheduling by production and how to do it. Give them an example in a three op practice and in a five op practice with $800 a day as their, Target goal? 800 an hour. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, 800 an hour. Yeah, 800 a day yeah. is what some of them do. <laughs> 800 an hour as their target. And um, just go ahead and take it from there. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, if you're going to be scheduling for production, you know, you have to do that comprehensive exam and you have a treatment plan that comes out. My average treatment plan in my office is $13,000. Whereas some, some dentists just right out of school, you might be at 
three thousand dollars. You know, as you're as you're, and that's okay. You, you're going to need more new patients than I do, if that makes sense. So what you do is you start to take these procedures and you put them into your schedule, in based on production. So if you have a two thousand dollar case and you want to do eight hundred an hour, you're going to be scheduling that uh, about two and a half hours. You know but it, you know it's not going to take you that long and if it is going to take you that long that doesn't become one of your blocks that you use for this uh, productive scheduling that may be something where you're putting in five or six or eight implants and it's sixteen thousand dollars you book that chair all day even knowing you're going to be done at 10 o'clock in the morning that's when you'll put in the other things that are maybe don't fit into your productive mindset or into your goal setting so goal setting is absolutely critical because if you don't goal set, then you don't know how long to schedule procedures. And so it's all done based on productivity, not based on time. And so that's, that's about as straightforward as, as I can do without having a schedule and actually putting them in. Uh, interesting story. One of the guys that you, you know, and, and everybody probably listening know who they are. They're a, they're a, you know, a common name, but they came to PDA and, uh, he said, there's no way that I can do this. I can't book my productivity. And I said, well, why not? And this is a September class. He said, I'm booked until January. And I went, whoa, no way. <laughs> that's my first step. There's no way. I, I don't know any dentist that's booked that way. I mean, I have time. I would have time next week, week. I always have time for, for production. Mm -hmm. So he said, no. So I said, let's run reports. So we ran the reports, got on the computer during lunch. And I looked at his schedule and I'll be doggone, he's booked till January. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's get some blank schedules and let's do this. I said, I'm going to move this patient to here, this patient to here, this patient to here, this patient to here. You're now at a thousand dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. And he was like, eyes were real big. And I said, now let's take this patient, put him here, this patient here, this patient here, this patient here. Now you're at a thousand the next day, an hour. And he was like, well, you just can't do that. You just can't move people around. I said, sure you can. It's your business. In other words, it's an intentional activity. Right now, you've got emergency buckle pits in here, you know, that are mm -hmm. taking up your schedule. And there's no such thing as an emergency buckle pit no. in my practice. I mean, you know, I'll do that in the hygiene room. You know, I'm not going to schedule an hour and a half time mm -hmm. for a buckle pit. And so that is, in a nutshell, the thought process that you have to have in doing scheduling to productivity. You have to be able to look at your schedule and say, what if, what if I move that patient here, this patient here, what would my, you know, cause all of us have done uh, 800 an hour in a, in a mm -hmm. particular day or a thousand an hour in a particular day. What you want to do is predictably do that every day. And so how do you do that? It, it's, it's an intentional activity. It's, it's what you do. So. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, thank you very much for coming on, and um, My pleasure. We'll, we'll probably bring you on for a um, for a synopsis of patient communication because I think that's one of the other things that a lot of people could really um, really benefit from, and something I think that you that's teach good. well. Uh, but uh, one other thing that I want to bring up here, and I'm actually going to give you a little chance to to highlight some of your stuff that you do uh, because I think it's important, guys. The way that you don't lose your ass by by scheduling by productivity is making sure that you have financial plans done before you schedule these cases. Now, a lot of times people will say, I can't come up with that amount of money. So I look at them and say, can you come up with 
Walk yeah. us through. Well, Compassionate Finance, you know, we started it 10 years ago and it's basically helping docs. It's helping doctors uh, do their own in-house financing, but through a third party. And the reason mm -hmm. I wanted to do it that way is I didn't want them knowing that, and I don't care if they know, but you know, that this is Bruce Baird's finance company, you know, and, but, but the 20%. But if they get mad at Bruce Baird, they may not pay. They may not <laughs> but pay, how do they get mad at the third party? Exactly. A hundred percent. And we know it to be true. When we first started that company, uh, to be honest, I, there were no metrics. There were no metrics on who defaulted, who didn't, because there was nobody doing what, what we do. And today, after over 80,000 patients, we have the metrics. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it, it, this patient has this percent chance of failing, not paying. And people say, well, what, what if they don't pay me? I don't worry about that because this is interest. Uh, that you know, you're doing interest on your notes with these patients and you're not putting up money, you're putting up your time. And so that's where compassionate finance, you know, it's COVID proofing your practice, really. It is recession proofing your practice. And something that I just realized in doing some more Excel spreadsheets, which you know I love to do, but I just, <laughs> Good realized, you do. <laughs> I just realized something three weeks ago and you're going to see a whole new push in a different way with comprehensive finance, which is the company that, that uh, actually runs Compassionate and Abella. But what I realized was if the average dentist is doing about 15,000 a month take home, you know, that's 170, 75,000 a year. So mm -hmm. that's what they're making. If you're making, if you want to double your income, double your income over three years, all you have to do is do 15,000 a month in compassionate finance. And it comes out to in three years, you're bringing in into your separate business, you're bringing in 15,000 a month and you're not working on that 15,000. That is, that is recession proofing your practice. If you're doing 25,000 a month, do 25,000 in compassionate finance. And in three years, you'll be doing 25,000 a month coming into your business, you know? And so, just with that epiphany I had, I was going, oh my gosh, I've been trying to explain it, just use it here. But now we're going to be talking about this is your secondary business. You don't have to sell essential oils. You just, mm -hmm. have, you just have to do a few cases every month that are helping people that need the help. And now you're going to be doing good while doing good. Because we have docs right now, and this is what came to the realization. During COVID, uh, we, we did a webinar last Monday night. The guy said, oh yeah, I've been, I was getting 18,000 a month in. It paid for my rent, paid for this, paid for that. He says, I went through and got the PPP anyway, just so I could have, be in a better cash position. But he right. says, I wasn't stressed at all because I knew I had that money coming in. So that, that's compassionate finance kind of in a nutshell. Um, if patients yep. don't pay you, it's okay because I expect it. And I know that interest off people who do pay offsets that risk. So. Absolutely. And, and to, to give a, a personal point on this, I called you right after Harvey and I told you, thank you. I don't know if you remember that or not, I do remember, but yeah. we had no production because the whole town was destroyed and you know, no one was scheduling anything. They had bigger problems and um, compassionate finance got me through that with the money that was trickling in. I could still pay my rent and pay my utilities and, you know, pay to keep my, my vendors happy with me. And sure. so I came out of that smelling like a rose. You did. And you did that for one reason, because you helped other people. You right. helped them 
get the dentistry they need and deserve, you help them by giving them decent financial arrangements. You know, this, you know, everybody's fighting for the same A and B patient, which the third party financing will, will finance them. <laughs> but nobody's helping the CDs and E's. Did I tell you, I think I tagged you in something the other day. Um, there was a, one of these big finance companies and they said um, that a 680 is a poor credit rating and that they wouldn't right. risk loaning to a 680. I would, my average, my average at Granbury Dental Center is 579. And that's over $1.2 million. And we're collecting over 107% of our usual fee. So, and that's after expenses that compassionate finance charges. Mm-hmm. And it's after, and it's after a set default. So I'm like, I mean, it's like gravy train. Um, and, and you're doing what you know to do. You, you know how to cut, if you can cut five crown preps instead of one, right. you just created paper that's going to pay you for a long time and it's going to support your business in times like I, I can promise you uh, third party financing wasn't helping you when you were shut down for eight weeks. You know, they weren't saying, guys, I'm just going to go ahead and send you 15 grand this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's not. And, and I know that 95% of the people out there are good people and they want to make their monthly payments and they want monthly payments that they can afford. And if we can find ways to do that, which that's what Compassionate Finance does. And by the way, I don't know when this is going to go out, but we've, we've had a, a no register, I mean, no uh, setup fee of 1500 bucks for, for Compassionate Finance. That ends on Wednesday, I think. Uh, so if anybody is interested, you know, that saves you 1500 bucks right there. And, uh, and you can start using Compassionate. Uh, we have actually, by doing this during this time, and it's possible we're going to extend it, but I don't, I, I wouldn't count on it uh, mm-hmm. because we've signed up more people in 10 weeks than we did all of last year. Yep. So uh, that, that's where we're at. So if anybody listens to this, just go to compassionatefinance.com, ask questions, and they'll get you hooked up. Excellent. Well, Bruce, thank you again for coming and, uh, and joining us today and sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you, man. It's my pleasure. I love I love teaching. I love, you know, just sharing because I mean, believe me, you know, when you make 32,000 and do a million dollars in production, hopefully you learn something from that. And uh, so there's no perfect way of doing anything. So you just learn from your mistakes. And I, I consider myself an expert at learning from my mistakes. <laughs> I'm an expert at making them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do that also. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us here and wasting another hour of your life listening to the sound of my voice. And uh, thank you for supporting the Deer Doc Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Deer Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Deer Doc Podcast on all major platforms.